among the various instructors and professors that we had in the seminary, there was usually one who taught homiletics, in other words, how to preach. And they all had their little sayings that sort of captured their, their wisdom on preaching. I remember one of them. He said, when you set out to preach, you should have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I, of course, use a Bible. And I think in the many years that, that I have been preaching, I've worn out two or maybe three of them. The one that I have now is well used. It has all kinds of little sticky notes all over the place. And of course, using the lectionary for the Sunday. It's not a very big Bible, it's not that heavy. I also read the newspaper pretty faithfully every day, and I pay attention to some news commentaries on television. And in the last few days, the newspaper has been pretty heavy. Or at least, at least the news has been resting heavy on my heart, and I suspect on yours as well. We have been outraged by the treatment of families who have been seeking a better life in this country. Innocent people arriving at our southern border to find safety, acceptance, and basic human values. What they have encountered has been the very opposite. The separation of families, the detention of dependent children apart from their parents, has been and indeed continues to be a national disgrace. It is an embarrassment to decent citizens. It is an act of inhumane proportions not seen in this country for a very, very long time. We have found ourselves in the same situation as those countries we have long condemned for their violations of human rights. We can no longer claim to the we can no longer claim the moral high ground that sometimes in our arrogance we thought we owned. The policy of treating families in this way has, as one commentator indicated, weaponized children for political purposes. It is not only unjustifiable in any political agenda, it is immoral. The attempts by one official to justify this approach by quoting scripture reminds me of the phrase, even the devil can quote scripture. What are we to make of this situation? What are we to do? We probably shouldn't do what we'd like to do. We probably should do something better. First, we need to pray for those families, and we do. We need to pray for the many good people who are charged with taking care of them on a daily basis, 
the many volunteers who step in to assist. It can't be easy for them to be placed in such situations when many of them cannot help but think of their own families and their own children. How could they not be in anxiety over what they, because of their employment, are charged to do? And we need to thank those who step in as advocates for these families. Given the opportunity, we would do the same thing. Second, like John the Baptist, we need to raise our voices whenever and wherever we can to express our outrage, whether in casual conversation or in a more public forum, if it is at all possible. The reversal of this policy a couple of days ago is not a solution. It is a tiny step, long overdue, in rectifying a situation that never should have happened in the first place. But what seems to be missing even in that reversal of a zero-tolerance policy, what seems to be missing is a mindset of basic human goodness. And until that is there, all of the solutions will be purely political. We have found in these times that our spiritual reserves of tolerance and respect have been severely taxed, and in some cases turned to a kind of despising not only certain actions but certain people. And we are just as uncomfortable with that feeling and those feelings as with the thoughts associated with the situations that have caused them. We thought we were better than this. We want to be better than this. God raised up the prophet Isaiah, who thought he had toiled in vain and spent all his strength proclaiming God's justice. But in today's reading, we discover that Isaiah has renewed his conviction that God chose him for a reason. And he proclaimed, Now God is my strength, I will be a light to the nations. Isaiah sets a high course for himself. We could use his resolve, and we could use more Isaiah's. In the opening prayer, we noted that John the Baptist was called to prepare a nation for Christ Jesus. We could use more Baptists in that sense. Paul says in today's second reading that God raised up David, whom God said is a person after my own heart. We need to find that heart as a nation and a leader with such a heart. When John the Baptist was born, the people asked, what then will this child become? Parents might be asking a slightly different question. 
what then will become of my child. They should not have to ask this question with such fear. As young persons, Isaiah, David, John, Mary, were destined to be a servant of God, a vehicle of God's work. Even from my mother's womb, Isaiah says. When we interrupt that potential by inflicting trauma on another, especially a child, we sin against the Creator, and we diminish ourselves as human beings. No one ever said that bringing the light of the Gospel onto the human journey with its brokenness and its dreams, let alone its politics, was going to be easy for prophets then or prophets now. But the gospel is always countercultural. It is always a critique of current ideology. And so we remain the people of hope, even as we rage. A holy rage is a good thing. Otherwise, we become sedentary and accepted. And so in every conversation and every moment when we ponder what is this that we see in life, even in those times that have an edge of sadness or a bit of rage, we might mingle our cry with the cry of the poor. And that is so necessary. May God hear us this time.